Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad to have you with us this morning. And um, I, I just have to say, I have to sit down this morning. Um, I made the decision to, to run with Adam and Ben. <laughs> and um, it's the second time. It was not as bad the second time. I will say that. But I, I don't want to fall over, so I'm sitting. So, um, but this morning, uh, we're going to get into a topic that it's probably good, you know, when someone says to you, you better sit down for this. That's like the topic we're getting into this morning. So, um, but I wanted to share with you a little bit about, um, to begin with, uh, I'm sure that at some point in your life that you've had uh, a scuffle with someone. You know, you've had a conflict. Um, maybe, you, maybe it was your uh, siblings growing up. Um, maybe it was just, uh, maybe you would wrestle around. But I remember uh, growing up, my brothers would wrestle with my dad. My dad was, went to state in wrestling, and he was pretty good at that. And, um, but they would wrestle in the kitchen, and they would wrestle pretty good. And then, sure enough, you'd hear a loud thump, you know, and then my mom would, would yell at everybody and get all sorts of nervous and everything. Um, uh, so she would get lots of nervous with that. And then, so then when I had two of my own boys, I was sort of expecting that sort of thing again, you know, um, with my boys. And, and that's, that's pretty much a reality uh, that happens quite a bit. Um, as, as you can see, I, I, I used to hold my own back, way back then. Um, my boys are 18 and 14 now, so it's, it's a little different. Um, especially Zeke, he'll, he'll, he'll just randomly, like, just like plow into me, um, and hey, you know, I, sometimes I stand my ground, other times, like when my legs are sore, I fall over, um, but, but it, when, I, I never forget when Elijah, our older one, was in kindergarten, and he chose to do wrestling, and when he came home the one day, he thought it would be neat to practice wrestling on his little two-year-old brother. And if you guys know Ezekiel, he, he won't back down from anything. So he was ready to go, and they, and they went at it, and they went at it. And then after a while, Elijah took Zeke down, and like he took him down, and sure enough, he landed on his nose. We, we heard a thump, and then the subsequent scream of Ezekiel. And so sure enough, he had that bloody nose, and he, his, his, his favorite Scooby-Doo shirt had blood on it and everything like that. And, you know, it was one of those things that was, you know, upsetting in the moment, and, but not surprising. Um, so sometimes, you know, maybe in life that you've wrestled around, or sometimes you've, maybe you've had conflict, and I hope it hasn't got to the point where there's bloody noses involved. But we're going to be talking about conflict today, and... Oftentimes, our conflicts lead to some pretty serious verbal altercations. And we're going to talk today about what God's Word has to say in the book of James about these uh, verbal altercations. So let's go ahead and we'll look at um, James chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You see, in the early church, conflicts were something that happened, right? They happened in the early church. The Corinthians, they would be competing with each other in public meetings. In fact, they would even be suing each other in court. In the Galatian church, it says that the Bible says that they were biting and devouring one another. I hope that's not like literal, but no, it's not. It's not literal. Um, They were biting and devouring one another, um, that kind of conflict. And then in Ephesians, it talks about that they were challenged to cultivate spiritual unity because of the conflict that was occurring. And then in the Philippian church, we learn about two women who could not get along. Now, as much as we constantly talk about showing the love of Jesus to others, historically, if you attend church long enough, you will find fights and quarrels among us. You see, we find out earlier in the book of James that God's word is compared to a mirror. When we learn what God's word says and we don't apply it to our lives, it's like the person who looks at themselves in a mirror and then forgets what they look like. But if we look at God's word intently and we abide by it, then we will be changed and we'll be blessed in what we do. So as we look at this passage, I encourage you not to become defensive this morning. I encourage you to say, God, speak to my heart. Show me what you want me to learn today. We, got, we have to have what's called three honest admissions we need to make if we're being real. Three honest admissions that we need to make if we're being real. The first one is, my desires can cause conflict with others. My desires can cause conflict with others. You see, desire in this passage can also be called passions or pleasures that are outside the plan of God. They're pleasures that wage war. You may want to act in the right way, but your other desires for what you want are so great that they end up taking over. There's a man who's having a difficult day at work. All the widgets on his line are not coming out right. His boss is yelling at him. His coworkers are no help. He feels that all they're there is for the paycheck and they're not working hard. So he's getting angry. He's getting angry. His frustrations build up and he's holding it all in. He's not giving it over to God. He just holds on to it and he thinks to himself, after this long day, I'm gonna go sit on my recliner at home. I'm gonna watch TV and I'm gonna do nothing the rest of the night. And that's what he dwells on. That's his, that's his hope that he gets home, this is what I'm gonna do and this is gonna make everything better because I'm gonna sit and watch TV and do nothing the rest of the night. Well, unbeknownst to him, his wife also worked all day, then was running around and picking up the kids who were not listening to her and she has a terrible headache. She thinks in her mind, when my husband gets home, I can, have, I can relax and have a break. I will ask him to make dinner because I'm exhausted. She pictures taking a relaxing bath, then he will make dinner, and she'll have, she won't have to worry about housework and won't have, or the kids the rest of the night. So she's dwelling on that, that's her hope. Husband arrives home, 
and wife begins sharing her frustrations about her day. And then the husband says, oh, you haven't heard anything yet. Let me tell you about my day. And then they both feel that they're not listened to and they begin to feel angry. Also, their relaxed goal that they saw as their solution feels like it's impossible and this increases their anger. They begin to blame the other person because they cannot achieve that goal they saw as a solution to their problem. They fight most of the night. They bicker, they argue, they berate one another. They decide to pick up takeout food and they fall asleep exhausted, stewing in their anger towards one another. This can also be called disordered desires. See, the evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but when we want, too, when we want it too much. I cannot be happy unless I have fill in the blank. See, I can't escape problems because I can't escape me. Verse 2. You, did, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. I think it's important to point out that it's not wrong to desire. That's not the point that James is making here. You and I cannot escape desire if we wanted to. Sim- that's simply the reality of life. And for sure, we can have desires for wrong things. We could have wicked desires and sinful desires. But James isn't necessarily talking about those. He just used a couple of different words that are translated for us as desire to address our search for pleasure and our longing to have what we want. But it's essential for us to know that desires don't have to be wrong to be destructive. But let's face it, sometimes we allow our desires to take control of our hearts. Desires are part of our human existence, but they must be held with an open hand because whatever controls our heart will exercise inescapable influence on our lives and our behavior. So, Our desires can cause conflict with others, and my desire can cause me to sin. You see, the process that I mentioned earlier in the story I shared, desires can consume our mind, but it is the point where we begin to be okay with sinning in order to fulfill our desire. That becomes the issue. The husband had a terrible day at work. And he had a deep desire to sit on that recliner and relax and watch TV. That wasn't sinful. It was his choice to yell and berate his wife when his goal was blocked. That was when he crossed that line into sin. See, because any time I mistreat, exploit, say a hurtful word to or harm someone in order to get what I want, I have allowed desire to rule in my heart. This certainly happens at home, but most certainly also happens in the church. For example, someone may have an idea of what they think 
the church should do, whether it is something related to ministry, the lighting, or even the color of the walls. Let's say this person is told no to whatever their idea might be. Now, there's nothing wrong with that desire. It has not caused a problem yet. But what if when he or she is told no, they become angry? They begin to badmouth the person who told them no to every person they can find. Now that that desire has moved into the sin of gossip and slander. Another example is a teenager, a teenage student who's looking to find a friend. A student looking to find a friend. That's a good desire, right? We all, friendship's important. But then that friendship is not reciprocated. For one reason or another, the student is not able to connect with the person that he or she is trying to become friends with. So then the student begins to be mean to the person and call them names or say bad things about them behind their back. The student had a desire for friendship, which is good, but obsessed over it, did not accept that that friendship did not work out with that person and chose to sin in response. And you know what? Often, when we're angry, most of us explain our anger by blaming something or someone outside ourselves. But James here, he tells us to look within and examine our hearts. Our feelings of anger and the words and the actions that follow reveal important things about our heart. They reveal what we are desiring most at the moment. My anger was not caused by people or situations I encountered. My anger was caused by completely legitimate desires that came wrongly to rule me. I like this in um, Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. He lists out six stages of this war in our heart. You can see this progression of how desire moves to demand here. We see desire like I want, I want to have this thing. Then it moves to demand where I must. And then to a point where it's like I need as if that desire is something I can't live without. Then this affects our relationships with others, where we have unrealistic expectations, where we treat people like they should know what our perceived need is. So the expectation is, you should, because of my, what I want, my desires, you should do this. And then comes disappointment. You didn't. You didn't do that thing that I wanted and then ultimately punishment. Because you didn't, I will. And then the subsequent damage in the relationship. This is a whirlwind that I've seen replayed over and over again in relationships. I've seen it played in my own heart, in my relationship with my wife. So what then? What should we do, just throw our hands up in the air? Well, let's continue in James chapter 4. James 4, 2b says, You do not have because you do not ask God. That's the first and foremost. How often do we go all these other places before we ask God, before we seek God in our lives? Does it sometimes become like the last resort thing that we do? 
It says, you do not ask because, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then goes on to say, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, it's vital for us to recognize that the things we set our hearts on never remained under our control. They capture, control, and enslave us. They set the course of our behavior and our words. This is the danger of desires. Your desires, they battle within you. They are at war with your heart. It's a battle for rulership and allegiance. Whatever gets your allegiance gets your behavior. After, control is the purpose of war. You know, I've seen times where Christians will say to me, I've tried, but I cannot help it. I can't control my desires. The great thing I love about Scripture is that God anticipates responses in that way. I could hear someone complaining about life after reading the first two and a half verses of this passage and then feel like it's a hopeless battle. But James says, you do not have because you, you, he says, you do not have because you do not ask, number one. And the second is that we ask with the wrong motives. This gets to that heart of the issue. You say, I want to have better relationships with people. You say, I want to live a comfortable life. You say, I want to do a job that I enjoy. Well, this, challenge, this passage challenges us based on our motives. God knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. He knows if you only wish to please yourself or make yourself out to be right in a situation. He knows whether or not we are seeking him. That's why we're always pushing everyone to read their Bible. Because God already knows all our thoughts and our intentions. But sometimes we don't know. The Bible helps to reveal our hearts. In Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Back in James chapter 1, it stated that we don't have because we ask God while doubting. And here it states we don't have because we ask with the wrong motives. What could I be missing out on for what God wants for me because I'm doubting or I have the wrong motives. So even when James, he asks his readers here, he, they, um, he says, they did not receive what they requested. Why? Because they asked with the wrong motives. The purpose was to spend it on their pleasures for their own satisfaction. They were not actually asking for gratification, but for things that they intended to use for pleasure. They wanted to gratify themselves rather than serve others or honor God. You see, what tends to happen when we continually don't get what we want as it pertains to our desires, it can only lead to destroyed relationships and overall discontented feelings. But something else can happen as a result of our desires controlling us as well. And that is, my desire can cause me to doubt God. My desire can cause me to doubt God. 
If I don't get what I want, it could begin to consume me. And then I doubt God. I doubt him for what I know to be true. That could cause me to pray less or to stop altogether. God's not giving me what I want. Why would I even talk to him? So basically, we deny what we know because of how we feel. Then we begin to believe lies. We stop reading our Bible. We stop coming to church. We miss out on all that God has for us because our desires dominated our thinking and ultimately our life. So here are some sound truths that I want to put in front of you and have you put in front of yourself um, as you consider desires that overtake you. To remind yourself of who God is when you're possibly beginning to doubt God. The first one there is God is good. We want to remember in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives that God is good. Psalm 118.29 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So we need to remember that truth. The second one is God is loving. 1 John 4.9, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his only son and sacrificed him. He died and he rose again so that we could have life. And that is love. God is loving. God is good. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So whenever you're in the midst of possibly being controlled or dominated by desires that are leading you away from God, remember these truths. God is good, God is loving, and God is trustworthy. Do you get frustrated with God because you feel he's not giving you what you want or what you most desire? Are your relationships a mess because you're consumed with your desires and unrealistic expectations? There is hope, but we need to realign our priorities. Galatians 5.24 says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We need to remember that Jesus died not only to save us from sin's penalty, but also from sin's power. We should not view ourselves as slaves to our fleshly desires. That's not because we don't have desires, but because a new desire from God and for God has triumphed over every desire that we have. Our chief desire, our number one aim is now to glorify God and to make him our utmost pursuit and to do what pleases him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal. This is our goal, our aim, to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. We are still creatures of desires, of desire, but as followers of Jesus, a new desire has become preeminent. Remember that this is not to negate that others have ca- the pain others have caused in your life. This is sim- simply to own our responsibility in it. Life is messy. That is a reality. But if we take 
to heart this challenge by James and we evaluate our own desires, we consider our motives, then perhaps we can help overcome the mess and we can begin to thrive as Jesus says that we can. I love this verse here in John 10. John 10, 10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That is Jesus that says that. Of all people, those who follow Jesus should have the corner on the abundant life since we know personally the one who offers it to us. And as we, as we close today, I'd like to, you to think about what desires of yours are controlling your life. Are these desires leading you closer to Jesus? And are they helping you have better relationships with others? Those are some questions I want you to think about this week. In addition to that, we're going to take Psalm 19.14, all right? And what I'm going to ask you to do this week is I'm going to ask you to take that verse and every morning read that verse five times. So you can, you can take your phones out and take a picture of it so you have it and you remember it for later. That's not weird to do in church, to take out your phone. Um, so go ahead and do that. Take a picture of the verse. And I'm asking that you would do it five times. And, and, and I, what I don't want is I don't want you to say, okay, I'm going to do this five times because Kurt told me to. Um, no, like this, is, this should be the prayer of our hearts. It should be the prayer of our hearts. May these words of my mouth, this meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if we started each day that way and, we, and that was our prayer every day? So that's what I'm going to ask is that you read it five times and read it as a prayer to God, that your desires would be focused upon him. The meditation of your heart would be focused on him and how you treat others would then follow. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have loved us so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we may have life. I pray that as we go out this week, God, that our desires would line up with your desires, that the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. We thank you, God, for how much you love us, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.